Sometimes you gotta go back to actually move forward. I don't mean all the way back to dental school. Let's face it, that was an awful experience. But when it's all said and done, you still have questions. That's what Paul and Justin are here for. To answer your questions as your dental business mentors. What's up everybody? This is Dr. JB. I'm here with Dr. P.E. We are here as your dental business mentors. We're basically just answering questions folks send in. Concerns that a lot of dentists have. I'm sure some of you have had them in the past or have them now. I'm still trying to keep these short and concise, but I'm struggling, guys. I'm struggling. (laughs) But you know what? You've never struck me as somebody who over-talks, though. You know what I mean? I've had numerous just social conversations with you, and I I don't think I've ever walked away with like, oh, man, that guy talks too much. He doesn't. I'm a good listener, but when I'm trying to deliver value for everybody. Yeah. Yeah. You try to get it all in there. I try to get it all in there. I don't want them to miss anything. I want them to leave there with a comprehensive view, and unfortunately, you know, it doesn't work all the time. Yeah. Sorry. It's hard in 12 minutes. (laughs) We can do it. Let's do it. Let's go. What are we doing? I'll prove it to you. Oh, no, I'm doing. I'm reading this one. Yeah, what's the question? The question is a very vague question. But this person's just wondering, they got a startup office, and they're wondering how much money they should be investing in their office. Okay. Which I guess, like, doesn't necessarily have to be for a startup. I mean, it could be be existing. We hear this all the time. It's almost cliche. You got to invest in yourself. Best investment you can make is in yourself and in your practice. Well, how much? Yeah. A financial advisor might tell you, well, you want 10% in equities and this and bonds and all this stuff. Do we do it as a percentage? I don't know. You go first. What do you say? I don't think there is a... A set amount here, right? It's like, what are we really talking about here? Like, how much do I invest in my practice? Well, if you're in growth phase, like you're not running into any bottlenecks with capacity issues, right? Because that's an expansion thing. That's a whole different topic. I'm assuming you're not like ready to expand because that, that we won't talk about that here. I'm assuming you're in growth phase. So how much should you invest? Well, how much can you afford to invest? Above and beyond your break-even point, you have yourself to take care of and perhaps a family. You need money to carve out for that. So you got to pay yourself something. Once you've done that, that bare minimum, be conservative with it. I I think you should create more than you consume, particularly in the beginning, right? And then take everything you got left over and dump it back in the business. That's always been my philosophy is like, I'll take out the absolute least I can to pay all my bills to grow this thing as fast as possible because I'm super impatient. I don't want to be growing a practice for five years. So I know that the more I put into that practice, the more likely I'll get momentum. Where do I allocate those resources mainly? Typically, I allocate them to more marketing so I can, back to like Ryan Dice and and these guys, the whole Dan Kennedy affiliation, these folks, digital marketers, those who spend the most, the longest win. And that has always held true in marketing for me up until the point of stabilization. But in growth phase, those who spend the most, the longest win. And to me, that always made sense. We've always done that. So we'll take whatever's extra, dump it into marketing. I bet this person wants to buy a toy. They want to buy a cone beam. Yeah, sure. This, so that's if they want to do that, is. that's a whole different ballgame. I'll let you talk about that, Paul, yeah, right? Yeah. But take whatever you can afford, put it into marketing, put it back into the practice. The technology is not the first thing I'd spend money on, but I'll let you comment on that. The second place I would spend money is I'd spend money on if you don't have, let's say, a certain skill that you can bring to the practice to like up your productivity, I'd spend it there. Those are the two main areas that I would allocate more resources in the beginning if you're growing. So I'll punt it over to you, man. I've been thinking about this. Why would somebody ever ask this question? And I think that's what it is. Is they're like, I want to buy either they're like, 
I should probably buy that cone beam, but damn, I wanted this new car. Or they're like, I really want that cone beam, but I don't know. I, I don't think I'm going to get a return on it. It's pretty expensive or something. That's what I'm thinking. It's like, how much money should you invest in the office? Well, I think there's, the first thing is, is if your office is falling apart and you need to repair it or your hygienists need new instruments or you need new hand pieces, those are needs. They're investments in your practice, but you need those things. Like you don't even need to think about that. that that's just normal operational stuff. You got to, you got to do it. But then I think I'm the same as you, Justin. I think it's like you take as much as you can. If you know that you're going to have a comb beam, if you know you're going to have a mill and a scanner, I would take as much as I can live off of and say, can I afford this right now? And if I can afford it, then it's a great investment. And that's as far as equipment goes. If you know you're going to get it at some point, it helps you do better dentistry or it helps you maybe enjoy your job more. I think it's a worthwhile investment. So there's no dollar value on it. It's whether or not you can afford it. But then the other thing is like marketing. You said pump more into marketing. Well, how much should I pump into marketing? Well, how much is it working? If you pump 5K a month into it and it gives you some good results, shit, try 6K. Is it getting you better results? Damn, well, let's try 7K. At a certain point, you're not getting a return on it. So, I mean, if you can handle that capacity, why the heck not? So I would say if it's, if it's not equipment and we're talking about marketing and just patients and stuff, Man, if you're getting a return on it, what's the problem? There's no limit. It could be unlimited because no matter, it's an ATM that when you put $1 in, you get two back. I mean, it's, that's a no brainer. So I definitely don't think it's going to be a percentage thing, but everybody's overhead is going to be different and everyone's lifestyle is different. And it can't be a percentage. You got to have enough for yourself. You got to have your rainy day fund, three to six months rainy day fund. And I know a lot of docs that have an operational account in their office that would blow you away. It's big. And we never ran that at my office. I mean, the most that we ever had in an operational account, I'm talking like with $5 million office, I think the most we ever had in there was like fifty dollars or $55,000. We always drained it down to debt. So, I mean, I know people that have two months of production in there. And the reason I know I had the right amount was because when COVID happened and we shut down, I was fine. <laughs> because the checks still came in. And there was part of me that said, Oh man, dude, I should have had more money in this. I should have done better. And then after we got through it, I was like, I was totally fine. I didn't need that mm-hmm. loan. I didn't need that PPP. No, I did need the PPP because I'm just going to, I didn't, I don't know what to say about that. I'm just going to pass it to you. PPP, Polly P is going to pass it over to you. We're not going to talk about the PPP. <laughs> We're done with that stuff. That's old news, man. The PPP was nice. Ancient it, history, man. Ancient history. I think we touched on all the right points, Paul. I mean, you, you touched on a couple extra things that we didn't talk about in the first little bit, which I think together when you culminate those things, it's pretty much the right answer because there is no right or wrong here. It's everyone's situation is so unique. So it's impossible to cater to the masses here. But if you pick apart the points then and write down the bullet points that came from both of us, I think you'll arrive at the appropriate conclusion for yourself. When you were a practice owner and you were still showing up in the office, did you ever like buy like a new car or something and kind of be ashamed to drive it to the office? Like there was part of you that felt bad about it. Honestly, man, I haven't been in that position. Well, actually, that's not true. There was one time. My son was uh, first born, right? Wanted to get a safe truck. So we bought this truck for about 80 grand. It was like a BMW X5 back then. And I was an associate at the time, right? And so I pull it up and I'm driving a better truck than all these guys. But it wasn't for me. Personally, we have always lived beneath our means. That's always been the philosophy for us because I had this mentality that I learned from a mentor, which is like, create more than you consume. And it's like a family value too. It's like create more than you consume. And to me, that's always felt good. So got a great car for my wife and the kids. I drive a modest car. I love pickup trucks. Like that's sort of my thing. Uh, I I don't got to take care of it. 
So I'm basic that way. I don't spend a, a ton of cash on that or clothes or anything like that. So I haven't really run into that issue in the practices I owned. Like I've had team members, I had a secretary who pulled up in a Jaguar because her husband had some cash. She's driving a better car than me. Yeah. <laughs> so. When I bought my first like luxury car, I guess, I felt bad coming up in my practice. I felt like I was like, didn't want anyone to see it. And then people got it. Like, I get the oh, feeling. I got a I really good deal on it. Is it new? No. Yeah. Well, I leased it. You know, even though I bought it. <laughs> I should have just reinvested it into my practice. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But yeah, I think we could just touch on this one. I think we're done. Did we do we're this? We're done. Yeah. Great job. We, we made it. Nine minutes and 30 seconds. All right, everybody, dentalbusinessmentor.com. You go check that out. And you guys can write in your questions. And if you are one of the lucky few that we pick your question, man, you are going to be lucky because you're getting free answers, exactly what you wanted to hit. So send us an email at info at dentalbusinessmentor.com and we'll talk to you next time. Were you one of the lucky dentists that got a tax surprise this year? Nothing like thinking that you have more money only to get that wiped away by a tax return. Or are you wondering why you are driving blind all year long, not knowing what your expenses are, what they should be, or how they compare to other dentists just like you? Enter Bull Moose Financial, a full-service accounting firm to handle your payroll, bookkeeping, tax compliance, tax returns and filings, as well as tax planning. And by tax planning, I mean knowing what you're going to owe well before the year is even over. I'm Paul Etchison, and I endorse working with Bull Moose. They were my CPA for many years, and if you want a responsive, dental-specific CPA that will free you up from the burden of bookkeeping payroll and be attentive to your special needs as a dental practice owner, go to bullmoosefinancial.com. That's bull, B-U-L-L, moosefinancial.com. Mention the Dental Practice Heroes podcast, and they will waive your $2,000 onboarding fee. So sign yourself up, and rest assured you know your CPA is doing all they can do to help and support your dental practice.